Welcome back. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. This is um, a story known to uh, probably everybody listening. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph too went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Gracious God, as we look forward to the celebration of the birth of your son in just a few days, we ask you to bless this time uh, that we share with our listeners, that it might be a chance for all of us to grow in our appreciation of the great gift Christ is to all of us. And so just bless this time. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Nagel. I appreciate that very much. So, Father, today as we uh, get launched into this uh, this program in this fourth week of Advent, first I just want to check in with you. It's been a couple of weeks. Yes. How has your Advent season been? Advent season has been good, but I have to say it's been busier than usual, and it usually is busy. And I don't know funerals. I, I, I'm, this is just going to be a description of the life of a pastor, I suppose. Um you know, funerals fall where they fall, and we've had some funerals this Advent. And then, you know, and another thing is that we always hear all the confessions of the school kids and they have penance services. That's kind of typical as well. Um, and so I, I was thinking, this is a long Advent, as long as it can be, really. And I thought, oh, it'll be fine. But, boy, it's been, it's been full. So that's not bad, but it has been a season where um, I, a lot of my time has been given over to uh, pastoral ministry and, and those sort of things. So good, but uh, it's been full. Well, I think it w- would part of it be the fact that you're now attending to two schools rather than just one? Well, yes. Two parishes rather than just one? <laughs> There's some truth to that. Um, things are happening in each school, and we have to take care of those. And so different, you know, organizing penance service. Yeah, you're right. It, it does it does multiply the um, the commitment a little bit. So, Father, just a question around this. So this is Advent season, and one of the traditional activities during Advent would be some form of penance service. Right. And I'm wondering if you have any, even just sort of anecdotal, your own, your own, uh, the evidence from your own uh, lived experience about Catholics coming back to church. Like, there was a lot of talk, sort of chatter, and, and now some of these things are being measured about the practice and the attitudes towards the Catholic faith of Catholics who stepped away from the practice of their faith because of COVID. Have you seen any, have you like just seen or heard stories and, or can you tell if uh, you feel like Catholics are coming back now or, uh, or, or not? Well, I would say, and we, we do measure uh, attendance at both parishes actually, it's interesting though. Two points: one coming back to mass, one coming back to confession. So, looking at both of those, um, I think confessions are off. On the other hand, I, this Advent, I, this, every t- penance service I've been at, uh, and sometimes also just in the confessional, um, there were people saying, "This is my first confession since COVID." Um, it's been, you know, it, they don't say it's just been two or three years. They say it's since COVID. So, I do know that there's some some sense that people are coming back to the practice just from that, because sometimes it's hard to, unless they come up and tell you, um, you, you might not know that, okay, this person has been away and just is just now coming back in you know, late 2022. I think terms of mass, um, I think for both of the parishes that I've been a pastor of, it's we, we're going back to about three quarters is where we're at, I think right now. And I do think, I do continue to see little, little increases um, each few months uh, as we do. So I think there was a definite hit. I don't know if we're going to get everybody back, uh, but I, it, it's this slowly. Um, and I know I don't have the graph, you know, is this, is this rising slope flattening out and we're, we're where we're at? I'm not sure about that. But that's what I would say in terms of my rough estimate. 
Yeah, it's interesting. When I think about um, folks moving towards a goal, uh, there I call it the, there's the push and the pull. The people are being pushed away from something. Uh, like the, where I'm at is so difficult or dark or uh, there, there's a, there, there's a, a pain and a suffering there that I want to move towards something better versus the pull. And that is there's something so radiant and beautiful and uh, there's a place of flourishing there. There's the green pastures and I want to get there. When you uh, or think about the folks that are coming back to church, if you have a chance to talk to them, do they use language that's more associated with sort of pushing away from like I've been away from the church and it's just been really hard and now I'm home again versus, um, you know, the, the mass is this radiant center of my life and, and I can't live without it. I would say, I actually, I, I think I've heard both, to be honest. Um, I think some of both, I, again, hard to quantify, but there is a sense. I do think there's a sense of the world's crazy and it's going crazy and, um, you know, I, I, I need to get back that I've, I've heard some of that, but I also do, I've missed this so much, um, sort of language. Um, and so the people who come up and talk with me most, I don't know which one is predominant there, to be honest. Like I said, I've heard both. I'm not sure percentage wise, and it hasn't been a whole lot because again, sometimes these things don't come up in conversation very easily, but I do know there has been some. So it, here's an interesting uh, conversation I had on, it was, it was, I don't know, maybe like a week ago, uh, Carrie and I were at a, at a dinner with uh, another couple, our families were together, and the reflection of this particular um, mom, um, and, and I shared a bit about it on Friday, on, uh, I'm sorry, on Thursday of last week on Sound Insight, um, was that uh, she said that they got to a place in their own life of faith where they realized that it wasn't sufficient to compare their own practice of the faith to others, to other Catholics, to even other mm -hmm. Catholics who are sending their kids to Catholic schools. Because when they did that, the measure of their own faith was, well, we went to church on Sunday, and we did a blessing at meals, and we were willing to self-identify as Catholic and sort of accepted church teaching and were striving to live a, a moral life. And, and you know what? That put us in like rare air. Like that put us in the top 5% and we're feeling really good about our faith. But now this is in contrast. Now we feel like that is just not going to get the job done, that there's so much more for us to strive for as Catholics. And we're, we're, we're trying to glimpse. What is it? How do you get there? What, what does that look like? How do I, how do I draw upon the, the life of the church and, and other faithful to get to that next level up. I want to level up is the way I was talking about it. Um, and I find that fascinating. And, and I think, I don't know if uh, COVID um, was a cause or a condition uh, to that kind of reflection, but it was really, it was, it was like really powerfully stated. It was simply stated. It was very humbly stated. Mm. Like what we thought was sufficient isn't any longer or isn't for ourselves. What do you think about that? It reminds me of my experience in high school where what she at first was doing was is kind of grading on the curve. Um, and, and so she, <laughs> she would be an A because she was the top, you know, grading on the curve, you, you compare yourselves to other people in the class and the top X number get A's and the next slice get B's. And, but it's all in relationship to one another. And I never really liked being graded on the curve. I, I always wanted this to be, there's an objective reality that you're supposed to hit, say 90% or something. And if 60% if get 90%, uh, 90% then 60% get A's. If nobody gets it, then nobody gets an A. But it's definite and it's real. And you, so I always thought that was more fair, I think, in terms of as high school student thinking. You know, I'd rather, I, I'd, I'd rather not just be measuring against these other guys. I, I want to be measured about, what, what teacher, what do you think excellence is? Then that's an A. Let me see if I make it or not. And so I'm not fighting against these guys. We're on a team and we're all trying to get to the same place, or at least we're not opposed to each other. And that's what I was thinking about, actually, when you were talking about this, uh, this mom that you had this conversation with. 
And I do think it's it's completely true um, that that we we can't look at our neighbors or the people in your your kids' class, uh, the the parents of the other kids in class, or even the people in your Bible study and stuff, because um, first off, wouldn't it be good for me or you to be able to be set a standard that other people would have, would approach as opposed to I'm looking somebody else is a standard uh, I can maybe help them in my, my my spiritual life if I if I go full in it's not just going to be about me it's going to be about other people too um, that's a, a great witness but also there aren't any saints saints never say you know I, let's me look around the rest of the village and see how they're doing and if I can make that then I'm going to be I'll, I'll be canonized someday that was just never the attitude it, it, it was say like, you know I'm I'm on this radical trek to God and these other people are eventually going to try to stop me, um, but I'm not going to let them. Again, that was more of the attitude. I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I can remember um, an interview with uh, Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa. And she was, uh, you know, being interviewed. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the interview, the agent, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the person doing the interviewing um, said something about, her being so holy uh, compared to the people around her. And her deflection of the question was, it was so simple. It was so clean. It was that she was comparing herself to Jesus, not comparing herself to right. uh, any, anybody else. And, <laughs> and that was so powerful. And, and I think that what you just mentioned is connected as well to the saints, right? The saints right. were comparing themselves to the to the other villagers, but they were comparing themselves to the saints. And I'm sorry, to, to, to Jesus. Jesus. You're right. That's a good. And that's the. And again, that's not grading on the curve. That's an objective reality to shoot for. Um, and it's everybody can do it, but it's really hard. And you know, in a sense of it's really challenging, but it's it's for everybody. And so why not shoot for the top? Yes. So. Uh, Father, one of the things that I've been doing this Advent is, um, I, and I, I think it's YouTube's algorithm. It's feeding me very challenging homilies oh. uh, that I'm li- I've been listening to, and these challenging homilies have tended to focus on, let's say, some of the traditional themes connected to uh, Advent, which is about preparation, right? And, and preparation is is connected to things like removing blockages or obstacles to the coming of Christ? How do we remove obstacles and blockages to the coming of Christ in our spiritual lives? And um, I have been uh, very challenged by the, the testimony of saints who lived this like fervor and devotion to be part of, um, I want to say, God's rescue team. <laughs> the the Jesus came to Jesus's coming was all about rescuing those that are in Satan's power, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to save those who are in dark, you know, the, the world that's in darkness has now come to see a great light. And, and Jesus is coming as king to overthrow the rulers of the world and the powers of darkness. And um, this rescue mission of rescuing souls from sin and its consequences, death, and ultimately uh, separation from God in hell, that they were willing to like do anything and make themselves available to undergo anything if only they could be part of this great rescue mission. Mm. And I got to tell you, it's been these have been some like punch in the gut kind of homilies where it makes me feel like I'm living such a <laughs> soft life compared to to these holy ones who are so devoted. So I, I got to tell you, it is it is very much, I think, Advent and, and the life of faith in general is going to be impacted by who it is we look to, like if not for, by comparison, but there is a mirror. These saints, can they, they, when, I, when I hold them up in front of me, it's a mirror I do not like to compare myself to. <laughs> I, I can believe it. And, and the whole idea of, it shows, you know, not just your weak, our, my, I'm sure mine as well, um, weakness, but how it's kind of how I would think my self-centeredness, I'm, my life is not about rescuing others, but it's, it's you know, the tendency would be it's about me and my needs. But I do think that sounds like some pretty good homilies. Maybe you should need to give me the uh, 
the link or whatever it is that you're, where you're going for those. Okay, so now, Father, I got to let you know, as soon as you hear them, you're now going to be accountable. <laughs> First, I have to open the link, right? <laughs> right. If I don't open the link, I'm not, am I culpable if I don't well, do it? You've just publicly asked me to send it, right? So now you have uh, hundreds of thousands of people listening to this saying, that's, that's, oh, Father oh, yeah. Nagel, that's we true. expect now. You know, sometimes I delete things accidentally and I don't even know it. <laughs> a new radiance, <laughs> a new radiance of holiness coming from your life. Yeah. You'll, you'll now be speaking in different ways. When we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you about how I started to speak to my wife. Uh, as a result of these homilies, uh, in, and you might get a kick out of it. Uh, but we'll do that in, a, in just a moment on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel on this Monday morning edition of Sound Insight. It's the fourth... uh, uh, we just finished the fourth week. I'm sorry. We're in the fourth week of Advent yeah. and the fourth Sunday of Advent, which just happened yesterday. And uh, it's the longest fourth week of the year. Just before the break, Father, Father Nagel, we were talking a bit about these challenging homilies and, and the difference they can make. Right. So, Father, I, uh, I, I have it on my, um, in, in front of my life to get to Mass daily as po- as far as possible mm-hmm. right so to make that commitment get to daily mass and um listening to these homilies and, and this focus on god's rescue squad these saints as feeling this fervent call to rescue souls mm-hmm. from falling into hell and you've heard me talk about this right in terms of our lady of fatima right uh-huh. poor sinners right. are falling towards hell because there's none to pray for them and I don't know why, but this is, it's like every corner I'm turning around, it, this homil, these homilies and references to saints are talking about these incredible examples of saint after saint after saint who just underwent tremendous sufferings to save poor sinners from falling into hell. And one of the themes that has shown up in several of them is the most powerful way that we join in Christ's work of expiation and reparation of the sin of these poor sinners' lives who are trapped in spiritual death is by going to Mass. And so Mass is the great work of expiation that we get to join into. And so uh, I, when I you know, see Carrie and, and I'm able to run out the door to make it to morning Mass, <laughs> I'll say, hey, what are you doing, dear? I said, I'm going to go stand at the gates of hell and rescue a soul from falling into hell. What are you doing? <laughs> Taking care of all your kids while you go to Mass? Yeah. Right. I'm helping my kids get ready to get out the door to go to school. <laughs> You're standing at the gates of hell. It's like, I'm going to go stand at the gates of hell and stop a sinner from falling into it. And my 12-year-old said to me, Dad, is that true? <laughs> is that really what you're doing? Because they, you know, they see me head out to Mass, and they know I'm going to Mass. But all of a sudden, to associate the idea of going to daily Mass with the, the like this mission mindedness mm-hmm. that I'm going in order to save a soul from falling into hell. That's a pretty striking thing, isn't it? You know, but it, it's an interesting, um, interesting point in attitude in the sense of I think most of us, we're going to mass for ourselves or maybe for God. Um, but the idea that we're doing this, that this is um, an act of worship preparation, et cetera, for others, I don't think that's that's really on the, the horizon for almost anybody. So I think it is a, a, a great the idea that I, this this the mass is never about just about me. So that this is just another way to say you know what this is something I can do for other. And why why am I sitting at home I'm not going to mass if I could be there? Why would I not be there for myself and for others and for God? I mean. It, when, when, and when priests say they don't celebrate mass each day, it just I I really wanted to 
that strikes me as just so why do you know what you're doing uh why would you not do that this day so wow i like it though well, i like I, the idea it's it it's it's like i can't let go of it i mean it's like it's grabbed a hold of me and so when i was at mass this morning um it, it changed how i was present at mass because when my mind would wander mm-hmm. i would say wait a minute no i've got to pay attention i've got to focus here what am i thinking about wait a minute the, the, during this mass there are souls that are going to face the judgment of god and and the lord's brought me into this mass to be there to stand before him and saying please lord expiate their guilt please lord save these poor sinners okay okay get back on that get and then going up to communion same thing okay remember now i'm receiving communion for these poor souls and and it was really powerful cuz i was as I was going up in line, I imagined like I'm standing in front of a crowd of poor souls that are about to face the judgment of, of God. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm here for them. All these souls behind me, I'm here for them. Save them. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a fanciful imagination or a spiritual insight or a blend of both. But it, uh, it, 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 it can bring about a shift in how we even see like, what do we want to do with our lives? What do you want to spend your life on? You want to do something important? You want to do right. something that that can make a difference? This can make a difference of a soul forever. It's just a, a great ex- example of the difference faith makes in terms of one's life and one's priorities in life. I think that whole question, do you want to make a difference? What's your life about? I mean, there are all sorts of vocations and, and professions. People go in for that, whether it's doctors or whether it's a Coast Guard. I, who knows? These sort of things that I want to rescue people or I want to help people. But the idea that this is the ultimate, as you say, rescue squad and, and purpose, um, that's, again, the image I had when you were talking about this was not so much the whole crowd, but this is probably even more uh, <laughs> more difficult, but you're holding on to somebody who's fallen off a cliff and you just have him by his hand and you're trying to get him up and he's trying to, you, you're the only thing that can hold him back up and and you just start, and every time you sort of drift off and fantasize and you let go of him, there he goes. No offense, Tom, oh, but that's, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Thanks, Father Nickel. I appreciate that. Yeah, Very every time, just remember. Motivating. Yeah. I would concentrate if I were you. <laughs> All right, and now I'm going to send you extra homilies, Father, <laughs> because you said that. Extra homilies for you today. Oh, that is funny. Uh, well, today in Sound Insight, I'm here with Father Kurt Nagel, and we're reflecting a bit on Advent and what's happening during our Advent. So, Father, I had a chance to share, and, and if you're sincerely interested, I will send you some of these homilies. They are sure. not, they're, they're challenging. Oh, I, mean, I you need heard it. it. I need it. So, okay. So, just as a, a, a note, by the way, I'd love to hear what are you doing this advent in terms of whether it's prayer reading mental prayer and reflection love to hear that last week I, I put uh, I invited father Lewis to share to share kind of putting him on the spot but I invited him to share and he had a, a great time sharing he he was saying that advent is his favorite season hey uh, just like me liturgical season it's my favorite season yeah isn't that something so I'd love for you to share what is it that you're doing this advent season in terms of reading, um, I'm always challenged to do. One of the things is, is something that many of the readers, uh, listeners might have already been doing, but I've never read Scott Hahn's book, Joy to the World. So I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that. And so that's been actually very good. I really appreciate that. It's, it's pretty accessible and it's not super long. Um, but that's been, that's been a good uh, preparation. I've really enjoyed that. I've also, I ordered this book about, uh, I guess you would call her venerable at this point because the the Catholic bishops of France just asked the the uh, Vatican to take up this case for beatification of um, I think it's Estelle Marie Harpin and she lived in the early 1800s in France just simple woman uh, but this great devotion to the Eucharist in, um, in the tabernacle and again uh, interesting story so. That was just, I don't know if that was really Advent other than the fact that I, um, I just learned about her at the beginning of Advent and I've never heard of her before. And so I'm, I'm, she, wrote, she wrote an account of her own life under, under obedience. And this is a book sort of taken from that in some ways. So those are my readings for the Advent. And then I guess my project really was, and I consciously made this, you know, the whole idea of Advent is, is preparing to welcome the Lord and to be able to be attentive enough to see him when he comes. And so I've made a, made a process, uh, a real project out of 
trying to greet people, greet Christ in people, uh, anybody I encounter, not just see, but actually have an encounter with, to take a split second or a moment or just a little bit to to greet Christ in them, to see Christ there. Is, that's, and it's, it was consciously an Advent project in the sense of trying to be attentive enough to recognize um, this is one way Jesus comes to me is in his presence in other people. So that's been a project. And I actually, again, you can't improve what you don't measure, right? So I, I try to keep track of how many times do I accomplish this? Do I actually see and, and greet Christ in another person? Because I do think it changes the way I interact with them. And so that's been kind of an, ad, an Advent project for me. I like yours better than mine. I'm imagining like, yeah, hand over the cliff, Soul falling into hell. You're yeah. So if Christ I don't, if I don't, people. if I don't greet Christ and don't acknowledge Christ in another person, you know, the person's not actually going to hell or anything like yours. But um, it's just a personal failure. Yeah, that's funny. Well, you know, there's a judgment scene in Matthew 25 that talks about failure to see Christ in others. Right? As long as you did right. it for the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. Yeah. So, so I don't know, Father. There's a there's a linkage there. So maybe right. there is a, a, yeah. a call that you have to to reflect on some of these same oh, yeah, ideas. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm gonna let me I'm gonna ask you. This is something I've been pondering as as this theme has emerged more fully in my life. So throughout my adult uh, awakening of faith that happened when I was um, eighteen, uh, I've had a devotion to the holy souls, uh, mm-hmm. the souls in purgatory. And uh, you know, sometimes they're called the poor souls, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes me, and, and there's so many saints that have these visions of, and, and holy people that have these visions of souls in purgatory saying, please pray for me, right? That I'd be freed from purgatory. Uh-huh. And, and it made me wonder, I'm like, if I asked a soul in purgatory, hey, I, you know, I've been praying for, for you and, you know, for the, those that are forgotten in purgatory, right? Those who have none to pray for them. Would they rather have me pray for them? Or pray for these souls that are near to death but far from God. And it, it made me wonder, like, why would saints be spending so much time praying for poor souls in purgatory and foster that devotion and not spending nearly as much ink and energy on praying for poor sinners that are near to death but far from God and are facing eternal, you know, the eternal fire of hell as compared to purgatory, which everyone in purgatory is getting out eventually. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, do, you, do you see where I'm, where I'm going with this? I'm just trying to, I've just been reflecting on that too. I guess for me, you could take it even farther and say, well, why pray for the souls in purgatory? Well, I mean, why pray for the people here on earth who we're not sure yet? Uh, they might be in better shape than those ones that are really close to hell. I, I guess I just don't think it's a, an either or. Um, I think you you pray and you work according to God's inspiration and discernment, and no prayer is wasted. And so um, that's that would be my I, I wouldn't overthink it and say you know I I, I may have to drop these whole prayers for the poor souls because there's you know there, there's a people who are in greater need because they might go to hell. I'm not saying don't pray for those those people as well, but you know again I wouldn't see it as either or. I like that. That's a that I'm I'm very much the both and. I'm very much the yes. So I like that answer. That that kind of uh, that that fits very nicely. Well, Father, I want to shift now and talk about the characters, the characters, the biblical figures that the church presents to us during the Advent season. They are given to us in in the Gospels uh, of the four Sundays of Advent. Uh, as well as in, in the course of the, the, the readings of the week. But, Father, I want to just work and walk with you through some of these key figures that are showing up in the Advent season and see how, well, maybe not only do we see Christ at work in the Gospels, but we can see ourselves in these biblical figures. So we're going to take a, a, a slightly different uh, point of focus on our life of faith. So this Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent that just happened yesterday, the, the principal figure that shows up in the gospel is St. Joseph. And so St. Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 receives this dream and, and is told not to be afraid to take Mary, his wife, into his home because it's through the Holy Spirit. This child's been conceived with her. And you are to name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And so Joseph awakes from his dream 
does as the angel has commanded him and took Mary as his, his wife into his home. Um, so we have the figure of Joseph. And I'm, I'm very struck by Joseph and the way in which the Lord chose him, singled him out for the mission that was his, and then chose to communicate to him through a dream. So I know that uh, as you are reflecting on sort of this gift of St. Joseph in the Advent season, is there anything in particular that you'd want to draw attention to, either from this gospel or from the figure of St. Joseph as it relates to our life of faith? I guess one of the things I would struck me, actually this, this is a chapter of uh, Scott Hahn's book, uh, The Joy to the World, in terms of St. Joseph and what must he have been, what might he have been thinking about in terms before the dream, um, before it was all cleared up, so to speak, or at least um, was, was made known to him. So, and there are different theories according to the fathers of the church, theologians, etc. But I guess one of the just, what might be useful is the way in which God works in our lives in ways that are surprising to us, and even through actions and deeds and events that may seem on the surface troubling or discouraging or even um, downright painful and suffering. I, I, again, according to one one uh, theory about how what Joseph was thinking in terms of um, his his relationship with Mary before the dream cleared exactly cleared things up is the per- perplexity of 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 Saint Joseph. What's going on here? Again, there's other there's other theories, but and I th- I think that's oftentimes the case in God in our relationship with God that we we're perplexed or even worse we're we're discouraged or angry or um, just depressed by what God has done in our lives. If, again, Joseph must have had a very different vision of what his life with Mary was going to be like. Um, he, again, I would assume that he thought, okay, this will be a one, this is a wonderful woman. This is going to be a holy family. I'm looking forward to that. Having sons, handing over the, the uh, carpentry business to them someday. It's just going to be a really good thing. And then suddenly the dream comes and, and you know, first of all, Mary's pregnant and What's that's changed? What's what's going on here? What I don't I don't understand this. What's going on? And then, and then the the dream sort of takes him in a different direction. But so I guess a long answer. But I I think sometimes it can be, God has a great plan that's even big, bigger and better than what you think your life is about. And and he'll he'll you know again let's live according to God's dreams rather than mine. And so again it's that whole idea of um, God knows better than me, um, and He knows what my life's about more than I do. And to be able to put up with the perplexity of life or even the seeming discouragements or defeats because that's part of the plan too. So again, I think that's always been kind of that, that scene for me, for, for Joseph. So I, I've got several reflections and then uh, based on what you just shared. And then I'm going to bring back a question to you about was Joseph uh, a young, right. young, vigorous right. uh, man that... Uh, was marrying Mary or was he a widower and had other kids and was taking on a stewardship of, of protecting her? Right. Or is it some kind of blend of both? But uh, before I ask you for that answer, uh, you mentioned this, this idea of Joseph discovering his identity and his mission. And I think about uh, the fact that the Lord entrusted to him in a dream through an angel with the action of naming the Son of God, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what a stunning thing. Like, it's kind of a risky thing. Right? <laughs> like, you know, he entrusted to Zechariah. Right. His name is John, right? Again, through an angel. And, and, and so there's a lot of trust going on here where, where the Lord trusts us in, in incredible ways right. and in, in entrusting Joseph with, with that very action of, again, taking care of Mary and taking care of the Son of God as his foster father and raising him as his son. And, um, and yet, at the same time, the name Jesus, uh, Yeshua, means God saves, which is that his identity or is that his mission? And the answer is yes, it's mm-hmm. his identity, God, and it's his mission, save, to be the Savior. And I think that that's so important for us to know that we find our identity, our deepest identity in the Lord, and we find our sense of purpose or mission 
in living out that identity in accord with his purpose for our lives. And I think that that's where we, we struggle and suffer a lot is when we don't know who we are and we don't know what we are called to be about. Mm-hmm. And Joseph did not have that problem. Uh, right. it, didn't, it wasn't that it was easy. It was, in fact, it was incredibly challenging. Uh, but uh, he knew who he was and he knew what he was to be about. And I think that's beautifully reflected in the, the act of God entrusting him with the Blessed Mother and with Jesus and with the naming of Jesus. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd really thought about the naming piece before, but it's but it is true that again the Holy Family is unique in lots of lots of ways, obviously. But I, I would just push that for ourselves too that, that God is entrusting us. He's giving us. He's He's trusting us more than we trust ourselves, oftentimes, and with more than we probably imagine. Um, the, the the mission that we do have it kind of goes back to that whole whole idea of am I going to imitate Christ or my neighbor in terms of holiness? Well, who am I really going to be here? Um, because he he's entrusted us with a mission that's that's again probably a higher level than 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 we think just as with Joseph probably more than he ever imagined to. Yes. All right. So Father, we we have a break, and then after the break, I'm going to ask you the question. Joseph, young man or older man, uh, widower or single? Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with Father Kurt Nagel. And he's had plenty of time to reflect on this question. <laughs> the question I'm going to ask him right now, Father Father Nagel, when you like pray to St. Joseph, when you ponder St. Joseph, when you think about St. Joseph, and obviously you, you're reading Scott Hahn's book, Joy to the World. Uh, is your own sense or your own, uh, like, where is, your, where is your thinking about St. Joseph? Was he a younger man, like the Blessed Mother, single and never married? Uh, or was he the widower who was uh, entrusted with the task of caring for this uh, consecrated virgin to take her as his wife to protect her? And potentially someone who had kids as well. Right. Just a little context here. I, you know, this is a question that's been asked for a long time. And I, I think in general, the Eastern, the Eastern Christian answer would be more towards the older fellow with uh, the widower, where the, the West has tended towards the younger. I think that there's some truth to that sort of generalization. I, and I think that part of the whole idea of the, this older, this older Joseph is to answer the question about the, uh, the brothers of the Lord, so to speak, and in who they are, and and I think, uh, it, I think the church doesn't say one way or the other. So this, you can you can think what you want to here, but uh, I I think that in my own personal prayer life, in my own thoughts, I would tend towards the younger Joseph. Uh, that's that's I think how I see him uh, in terms certainly in terms of sort of prayer or devotion, um, etc. I th- I think there's some good answers to the whole. Brothers of the Lord questions that don't require the the widower with children, and so that's always just been. Um, I, I'm aware of both. If if somehow I received a dream saying this is who Joseph really was, I could. I'm going to live with either way, but I, I would tend towards the younger. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I like you answered it like a historian. It <laughs> was good. Giving lots of context, giving yep. both sides. That was good. very balanced, Father. Very balanced. That's me. But then you did you did land. Yeah, you, I land you on the younger. Towards, you tended towards the younger. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, you didn't. And the funny thing is, you didn't push it back on me and ask me where I where I landed. I, I would say that uh, I don't. I don't have a strong like gut feeling either way. But I would say that I have imagined him more in prayer as the older. As the older Joseph, but Father Calloway, with his book on the consecration to Saint mm-hmm. Joseph, he's influenced my thinking back more towards the younger Saint Joseph, and maybe that's because he's reflecting more on the Western tradition. Yeah, I read that book too, and so I, I do. Now that you mentioned it, I, I didn't consciously use that as a this background, but I think it was informing me a little bit too. There. Fair enough. All right, so Father, that's uh, that's the the character of Saint Joseph. Uh, we can uh, we're going to go back a week to Gaudete Sunday. And in Gaudete Sunday, the, the principal character there was St. John the Baptist. And I know you have a, a particular devotion or a, an affection. It's called a spiritual affection for St. John the Baptist. 
what do you want to draw attention to in, with regards to his identity, his mission, his call, and what that means for our living of our Advent? You know, it's kind of interesting. One of my associations with St. John the Baptist comes from my Carthusian experiences. He's a patron saint of the Carthusians because um, he's out in the wilderness by himself. And again, the Carthusians are the solitaries out in the mountains. And you wouldn't think of a Carthusian. The Carthusians are not wild. I think of, of John the Baptist as having long hairs and beard and draped in skins and um, pretty pretty blunt um, about anything he says and pretty focused. And the Carthusians, uh, again, they would you'd have a different impression when he first met them. But I think this this whole idea of um, I, I what I like about John the Baptist is part of that 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 sort of the ra- radical um, the prophetic state of coming out of. I like the wilderness idea. I, I don't live in the wilderness. I don't. I don't have a monastic vocation, but I do like this idea that all in for the word, um, no fear, and but again, sort of this this wild fierceness that again, I'm not saying I don't have. I don't have it necessarily, but I admire that as, as an element of the faith. Of uh, it's not always civilized and polite. It's sometimes in your face and say, change or else. And so again, there's, there's part of me that just find it very attractive. Um, not that I live it out very well necessarily. Well, and you know, St. John the Baptist uh, in these, uh, in these particular sets of readings, you know, he's, uh, he's not, you know, he's not playing it easy here. No. He's like, oh, <laughs> he's all in and, and he's, uh, he's telling Herod, you're not in a good spot here, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to, um, you're going to face the judgment if you don't, uh, if you're not willing to, 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 to own up to what it is you're doing. Um, so that call to be prophetic, I think that that's not an easy one for us to receive today. I think right. we're accustomed to being more, let's say, tolerant and accepting. And, um, and yet sometimes that if, if that's the only stream that we uphold, it's going to quickly lead to compromise. Yeah. And um, and lacking in courage to to speak out in a way that will actually save people from yeah. disaster in their own lives, or to save uh, disaster in the lives of those that they're caring for. So I think that Saint John the Baptist is definitely a character for us to reflect on today. I just think. Well, I'm going to uh, push forward to a character that gets a lot less attention in the Gospels, and it's reflected in the. Uh, the the scripture that you began the program with, which is here we have uh, Joseph and the blessed Saint Joseph and the Blessed Mother coming to to Bethlehem to give and and this is when it's time for the Blessed Mother to give birth and they arrive at the inn and there's no room. Uh, I, you might have heard me say this before on Sound Insight, but there's a guy I don't want to be in heaven and that's <laughs> the innkeeper, right? Just to, at the end of the at the end of the world judgment, here we are. Here's the innkeeper. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no room for you to come in, Jesus. Sorry, you can't be born here. Uh, I, I'm too busy. There's too many pe- too much stuff going on. Too many people here. There's no room for you to be born. To say no to the Blessed Mother Saint Joseph and have Jesus be born in his inn. <laughs> that is not a person I want to be. Right. So, I want to just here, I'm going to uh, give you a line to reflect on in, in terms of how does the innkeeper relate to our lives today? And it's from the venerable Fulton Sheen, uh, who said that um, for those who are people of faith, it's it's less that we uh, drive God out of our lives, but it's more that we crowd God out of our lives. So our problem isn't that we drive God out, get away, I reject you, but rather that we crowd him out. Hmm. And the innkeeper seems to be the most fitting example of someone who crowded, literally crowded the Lord out because of the crowd that he had attended, he was attending to in his life. So what are your thoughts or reflections on the, the figure of the innkeeper and our living of our Advent today? I have to admit, I, I, I'm sure that I, I'm not sure I've ever reflected upon the innkeeper before. But uh, that idea of crowding them out—it's certainly applicable to us in the sense of, I think you're right. When I talk to people about prayer or think about it myself, 
what's the problem is I'm too busy. Uh, there's too many, there's too much stuff in my life. I just don't have time for God. Um, it's not necessarily put that way completely, but I do think that's the real, reality. I'm thinking more in terms of time, I guess, uh, than physical stuff, but I think it is certainly true. The innkeeper probably says, well, you know what, this is my job. I, you know, first, first come first serve, you know? Um, so on some level, but I think that's could be our sense too, that, you know, there's lots to do. It's important stuff. I have to get it done. Um, and if I have time, I'll, I'll fit you in the back, back room, Jesus. But you know, right now I, I, I really can't, I can't let you in. Um, but hang around because it might open up later. Nice. I love it. Yeah. I think that, uh, I have become more conscious of the fact that when people say to me, how are you? that my default setting is to say I'm busy. <laughs> and I have uh, made like efforts to disrupt that so that even if I catch myself saying it, I'll say, no, wait a minute, stop. That's just an excuse. That I'm just rationalizing there. Uh, sorry, I am busy. Yeah, even if I am busy, that's just an excuse. Uh -huh. So no, I'm not busy. I've got to live more intentionally. So I, I kind of do that live right in front of the person I'm talking to. And they laugh because they're typically saying, yeah, I'm busy too. So, all right, Father Nagel, we're up against our final break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about another figure in that same story that might actually be a cause of comfort oh, for good, us. And it's an unexpected character. Who is it? We'll find out in a minute on Sign Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel. And Father, in that, in that scene in the Gospels, in these infancy narratives where Joseph, St. Joseph, takes the Blessed Mother and they go to Bethlehem, they're going because they're on vacation, right? And they just want to go visit family at home. Yeah, going down no. to Elizabeth's side of the family. <laughs> right. they, always, they always go. Right. To, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. They're there because of Augustus Caesar. Yeah. And I, I never heard this before, but I, I don't know, I read it or heard it in the last week or two. And it was that it was, they were going there because of the census and the census was because of taxes that they were going to taxes and, and therefore people had to go where they were going to go. And it was a very interesting thing because Joseph wasn't reading the old Testament and saying, Oh, Oh, and in Micah, it mentions Bethlehem as this place of, of the birth of Jesus. We better get there. Because it we could better, be us. Like, it could it be us. us. I think this is it. This is us. Yeah, Blessed Mother's like, hey, yeah. Joseph, we got to get to Bethlehem <laughs> because there's a, a prophecy we've got to fulfill. <laughs> right. We can't have this guy born in I've never thought Nazareth. about that before. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've never thought of that before, that the Lord was using Augustus Caesar and even a tax system that... Uh, in order to say, I I'm going to kind of nudge these guys along to get them to Bethlehem so that there can be the fulfillment of a prophecy. And I don't know about you, Father, but I, I find that kind of comforting that the Lord is showing that he's in control, right. that he's God, he's providential in his care of all things, and will even use uh, pagan emperors and taxes to bring about his purposes. And I bet that Caesar Augustus, if you had asked him at the end of his life what his more, most important deed was, probably would not have said that sentence because it brings <laughs> Not even on his radar screen. Yeah, right. so God is the Lord of history. So I think that's, yeah, I never thought about that either, but it's probably a homily in there. Who knows, maybe for Christmas. Well, there you go. So you're getting all kinds of homilies today, Father. I'm getting, I'm getting homilies and that yeah, that's good. You're gonna you're gonna be standing at the gates of hell to to ward off folks from uh, from falling into to, to sin and darkness. I'm gonna send them to you. All right, you. Father, is there any with that? I'm gonna send them to you. Yo, I'm just helping Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna help him, but he's the nice. one ultimately responsible for your soul. So. Oh goodness, thank you. I appreciate that, Father. All right, so I've given you a bunch of characters. Uh, is there any character that stands tall for you in your own biblical figures? Or even saints, for that matter. I know that um, we're recording this on the day, uh, two days after, or the day after the feast of Saint John of the Cross, and mm. um, you missed the chance to be able to reflect on Saint John of the Cross. 
so is there any was there any way that you remembered that particular feast day or is there any other particular saint you want to draw attention to in the Advent season that's helped um, shape or mold your Advent? You know, I'm not sure this year. I'm not sure John the Cross did this year in, in any particular way. I always think of an Advent um, saint as for just because of the cultural things that built up around her, St. Lucy. Um, I've always appreciated her. I always, it's so dark and dreary. And, and so the Scandinavian customs are still, I, I, I do see her as a, definitely an Advent saint. But um, nothing in particular jumped out at me. Although, again, Caesar Augustus and the innkeeper are both good, good wins for me today. I, nice. hadn't, I hadn't thought about those. Well, Father, we have um, less than two minutes left in the program. I'm going to give you a chance, if it's okay, would you close us with a prayer today on the program and a blessing? Certainly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious God, I ask your blessings upon all those who are listening and all they love, all, all the people in their lives whom you've given them. I ask you to bless us in this last week of the season in which we prepare for the coming of your Savior, that this dark time uh, in so many ways might be the fitting just a fitting setting for a new light in our lives, a new depth to our faith, new graces that we receive as gifts from you this coming season. So bless us that we might be truly attentive in this last week and bless us with a wonderful, joyful celebration of the birth of your Son, our Savior. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, I really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Father Nagel, you're always very generous in giving us your time and your thoughts uh, about uh, whatever it is we're reflecting on. And um, uh, today, as we are entering into the final week leading up to Christmas, uh, please keep Sacred Heart Radio in your prayers. Uh, keep our family, uh, my family, if you would, in your prayers. I really appreciate those of you that prayed for my dad. Um, in uh, his time in the hospital. I'm, I'm a great, uh, grateful to say that he uh, recovered from uh, his, uh, his bout with congestive heart failure and uh, is back home and, uh, and is doing well. So praise God for that gift. And remember now, this is uh, the time of year when folks are making plans and, and praying and thinking about where to give financially. And if that's you, I want you to consider Sacred Heart Radio. It's a listener-supported Catholic radio, and that means that those that are blessed by the programs, those who believe in the mission, and those who have been blessed with the financial means to be able to extend yourselves generously, please remember Sacred Heart Radio. It is listener-supported Catholic radio. And you can do that by going to sacredheartradio.org, sacredheartradio.org, and you can hit the donate button. You can also download the app. If you go to the Apple Store, the Google Play Store, download the app and you can donate right from there on the app as well. It's the Sacred Heart Radio app, of course. So thank you all very much for listening. If you want to uh, access these programs after the fact, you can always go to mycatholicfaith.org and listening to all the programs of Sound Insight. Thank you so much. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.